I love the way the First Gen Lounge makes me feel. Because it creates a space where I belong, where we're able to create community. The fact that it's a community. It's a safe place. It also gives me a place to understand different perspectives. The stories of these individuals prescribe transformational perspective. I receive encouragement, enlightenment, empowerment. And also serve as a catalyst to just keep going. Where we're able to be our true selves. I'm allowed to be an unapologetic first gen. And above all else, tell our story. And every episode is unique. I love it. I'm your host, Dr. Eve, and I'd like to welcome you to the First Gen Lounge. All right, folks, welcome back another Thursday. Hey, Dr. Eve here sitting with a Shaw University alum. It's been a while, too, since I've had somebody on the show from Shaw, so I'm excited about that part. But I have with me another doctor, another PhD. It's always exciting because, you know, we out here getting it, right? We out here getting it. But want to welcome Dr. Shamika in Stanford today. Hey, Dr. Stanford, how are you? Hello, hello. I'm good. And you? I am well, thank you very much. Look, <laughs> let me tell you how proud I am of you. Okay, black woman with the PhD working at Howard came from Shaw. They better know, okay? Thank you very much. <laughs> you are so very welcome. Look, you know, because people, they want to know what Shaw University alumni look like. You know, what are we doing? Where are we at? And I, I say every day, there's a lot of us who are out here doing amazing things, and you are definitely, definitely an example of that. Man, so yeah, I don't ever like to take long to get into the show. I want to jump into it. Will you please tell us who you are and what is it that you do? So again, I'm Dr. Shabika Stanford, professor at Howard University. I am also a speech and language pathologist. I primarily am a juvenile forensic speech and language pathologist. So what I do is I analyze and serve as expert witness on cases where youth, minority youth primarily with communication disorders are being charged with an offense or tried as an adult to demonstrate the impact of their disorders on their decisions and the effects of it on their consequence thinking. I also teach and train master's level and doctoral level speech and language pathologists in the area of social justice and communication disorders and child language disorders. That's me in a nutshell. You busy. <laughs> Not even kind of sort of you busy, busy because you have master's and PhD students. Yeah. And, you know, we've been through the PhDs before, so we know we can be a lot, but it's all good. So where is home for you? Where are you from? I am originally from the Bronx, New York, and raised at Shore University, groomed at North Carolina Central and shined at Howard University. Uh, okay, then. <laughs> Look, tell us about it. <laughs> HBCU born, bred, and polished. I like that. I, I love, I, but I love it because I was like, you know, I've said it, but it's like, wait a minute, that is right. All HBCUs, nothing but love, nothing but love. So, you know, the fact that you have a PhD is something that I really, you know, want to talk about because, again, you went to a small private HBCU in North Carolina, so you moved all the way from New York, going to the South, it's hot day country. <laughs> you know, some people be saying from New York, right? right? But, you know, you came down here and you got yourself through your, your bachelor's degree and then you decided to keep going. What made you want to keep going? I would honestly say who, because I had no future intentions of going beyond a bachelor's. Mm. So my first bachelor's is in computer science. And I ended up taking an elective in sign language with the name drop, Dr. McCallum, in the... Okay, I love him. <laughs> exactly. And he was like, well, you know you're going to need a master's to do this, right? I'm like, really? Uh, okay, never mind. <laughs> and then I, I got back to New York and I was like, why not? So I went and got another bachelor's in speech and language pathology and 
100% true. Dr. Donnell Lewis had started the program there. He said, if you come, we'll pay. And so it kind of was people believing in me that got me there. At Centru, one of my greatest mentors, Dr. Sheila Bridges-Bonds, her best friend came from Howard to do a speech and was like, you know, Howard has a PhD program. And so that wasn't even in the plan. I just got tired of working a nine to five that I'm going back to school. And so I did so. And here I am. Yes, you are. And did that. <laughs> like did that. I get excited, especially when I talk to other doctors. And it's not that I don't you know, think less of people who don't have formal education or more education. But what excites me is that you are first generation and that in spite of what the adversities are that you know you'd have more social issues more economic challenges you still prevailed and you didn't let your circumstance stop you so that's that's what fascinates me um you know most of the time so speaking of not being stopped you know you said that there were people who really kept you grounded who really inspired you to keep going forward and, and help you you know you learn from those people what are some of the best advice that you'd ever gotten from one of them or maybe even somebody who's not one of the ones who pushed you? Oh, that's a really great question. I think one of the best advice I've ever received was two things, but one is to stay relevant. And and that's really, really important in academia because you can get complacent sometimes and it can get difficult. The other one would be to only be in competition with yourself. Mm. And again, that, that ties a lot into, you know, what you deal with and what you experience in academia. But if you focus on yourself, to stay relevant becomes that much easier. I think that the, that would be the two pieces of advice that has always stuck with me and been very influential in things that I have done so far. Mm. So on the flip side, considering, again, you've gotten your Ph.D., you've pushed through school, had to pay for it, figure out your life as an adult. What are some things that you wish somebody would have told you that you were just kind of like, really though? Somebody should have told me this. (laughs) I think that the biggest thing, and I find that a lot of people have this experience. I wish somebody would have told me about the trap of student loans and refund checks. Mm -mm. I I honestly have loans to buy two Teslas. And that's because, you know, I went to HBCUs are private institutions. And so although we are there to help our people of color get an education, we also don't have the funds to support us. And so it costs more money. And so at some point, you know, you get the advice of, oh, just take out a refund check to support yourself. You know, take out enough loans to get a refund check to support yourself. And I wish that somebody would have explained to me what that looks like on the back end when you're buy, trying to buy a house and get married and mm. do all the other things that you want to do with your nice little check once you start to get it later on in life. And that's real. I think that there's a lot more that can be had about education as well with finances or so financial literacy. Absolutely. But I think sometimes, you know, the conversation ends up being more about handling your business and worrying about it later. <laughs> you know, don't worry about later, but it's like, well, what does that mean, you know, for later when later comes? And now I got to deal with this. So I'm glad that you, you brought that exactly. up because that's a good point of contact. Is there anything, if you don't mind me asking, is there anything at this point that you've done to help in terms of budgeting and finances, any resources that you're using that may be helpful for others? Oh yeah, I think that, um, well, one, in, the, in this realm of speech and language pathology, there are some pockets of loan forgiveness. So, you know, early intervention with infant and children under the age of three, they forgive back a certain amount of money. So making sure I work in those fields. Also, because I am at a historically black institution that is a 501c3, public service loan forgiveness is something that I have the ability 
ability to receive, which will kick in in seven more years. Come on, seven. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, the being in academia, there are some things around it. And so there is some truth to don't let the money stop you, because that is a lot of times that what stops us as black men and women is that we can't see how we're going to afford this. And I think that um, knowing that once you get into the field and get the, the skills that you need, there are those pockets that they never tell you about. So being able to apply for, you know, NIH grants that fund your loans back and those type of things are opportunities that are out there. But other than that, I'm just budgeting tight and using the loan repay option and putting it in God's hands. But amen. But no, but I, I want to say really like put the people on because you clearly demonstrated that we don't always see options or avenues for being able to one, get debt forgiven and two, being able to like navigate. So like, I guess essentially doing things temporarily to be able to take care of your business. So you're still fulfilling your career. You still are able to be an entrepreneur. You're still able to navigate and enjoy your life, but you're working within the means of what's necessary to take care of your business. So I, I love that, that example a lot. Thank you for that. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. So tell us what do you enjoy doing the most? You know, because you have several things happening in your life. What are some of the things that you're involved in that really fill you up? I think first and foremost, I enjoy educating. There's a big difference between a teacher and an educator. And the definition will tell you something different. And it will tell you that education has a finite ability and that teaching is infinite. But I believe it's the other way around. When you educate, at least we educate our black men and women or women and men of color, you are able to go out there and educate the next field. When I teach you something, I'm drilling the skill into you. And so I, I get a lot of joy out of educating the students and the individuals I come into contact with. Other than that, my research, I, I really am passionate about juvenile justice and youth with communication disorders and getting their rights and their, their voices heard. And that, that's really my passion right now. So speaking of that, I remember you mentioning something before about teaching in yes. prison. Is that right? So actually for speech and language pathology, this is the first program in the United States graduate program for speech pathology that is taught inside of the prison. And so I take graduate, doctoral and master's level students into the prison and we have a class with incarcerated women. And that class focuses on uh, the perception of communication in your dialect and how that impacts your life upon re-entry, as well as how that impacts your approach to therapy and clinical awareness and what that looks like for you as the clinician when you're treating and addressing the needs of these individuals, particularly because most of the women incarcerated in this particular uh, institute are minority women. The initiative is shifting because this is the first year where we've had the most black professors and the largest HBCU representation of this type of program. Dr. Bahim Muhammad brought it to Howard University. Mm, that's powerful. And I say that's powerful because, you know, I'm not saying that you don't think about it, but it's just something that I don't think a general population of people don't think about Absolutely. what it means for people to come back into a space and learn how to exist. And to be a part of that, that change and then to be a part of the first programs, imagine that hands on experience. My gosh, that's incredible. So kudos to y'all for that. And this is being run out of Howard, right? This is being run out of Howard. Yes. Again, it started at Temple University, but Howard, again, we have the largest representation right now of African-American professors that are implementing this program. Blazing the trail, blazing the trail. Okay, Howard. Yeah. Okay, Howard. <laughs> <laughs> Look, that's why you're there anyway. <laughs> but that is, that is, that is wonderful. 
So let's just imagine, though, you know, especially again, being a first generation college graduate, you've got a student or some person that you've met at a conference who tells you that life has just been bad for them. You know, they can't seem to figure out how to move in a career and they're challenged financially. Just life is just challenging and they're first gen. What would you say to motivate them to keep going? What are some of the lessons you've learned that you believe could help them in their own experiences? Well, first and foremost, you have to find your passion. I find a lot of first gens are going into college because it's something that somebody wanted them to do or, you know, somebody's giving you an idea of what you should do. And so you got to find your passion because you burn out very quickly when you're not in your passion, living your truth. So that's the first thing. Um, The second thing is one of my professors slash deans told me on my first day of the master's program, me too, meaning I had a whole different meaning for what it means now, but pretty much meaning that life happens and you you still got to get out the boat. It's going to rain around you. It's going to snow around you, but you still got to keep moving it. And it takes that push to do it. I can't help you if you're not going to help yourself. And so you have to live beyond what is happening right now in your life to get to that other side. That's real. And definitely I would even add to that because you got me thinking over here that it's easy to feel sorry for yourself because sometimes, I mean, I'll exactly. be honest, I've looked at my own life and I've been like, ah, just why me? Why me? But then the flip side of it is why not me? And, you know, I tell, you know, people all the time when I'm trying to inspire them that God wouldn't give you the situation if he didn't think that you were fit for it. That's true. And there's always somebody out there that would gladly trade your why me. Sometimes you gotta you gotta be grateful for the the why me that you have. Mm. Could be worse. Speaking of you know while we're on why me and thinking about kind of like failure a little bit or adversity or challenges, you know what would you say has been one of your biggest challenges personally and biggest challenge you know professionally just in terms of knowing who you are and how you show up in the world. Good one. Personally, it is exactly that knowing my worth. And I think that that ties to your professional because sometimes it's hard as young black women to live up to your worth. And you overlook the fact that sometimes adversity is because somebody else saw your potential before you saw it and, and that threatens them. And so you shy down and you, you dumb yourself down and you, you, you turn your light bulb off in certain rooms because you just don't know your worth. And so it, it took a lot of time for me personally to know my worth in professional space and to recognize that I'm, I'm worthy of what I have. And I don't owe anybody an apology for it. I, I think for us, a lot of times when you get a PhD, you know, you automatically get that stigma of you think you better. And so mm-hmm. people put these marks on you. So you try to apologize for your greatness. You know, it's like, I'm sorry that I got it because I don't want you to feel uncomfortable about where you are in life. And so I think that those have been my biggest issues is recognizing what I'm worth and knowing that it doesn't take anything away from you, but I'm not going to take it away from me either. Word. (laughs) Um, Because what's making me think of right now is I've actually had some people say to me straight up and I'm not even like, I like what I do, what I do. But they were just like, yeah, you think you better Mm -hmm. because you got, you know, this, this PhD because you didn't, you know, gotten your schooling or whatever else. I'm like, no, but you look at me different. 
And because I made choices different from yours, you assume that I think I'm better, but I'm still me. It's honestly part of the reason why I go by Dr. Eve and not, you know, just like Dr. Hudson, because the Dr. Hudson is so formal. And though the doctor part is important to me for the the sake of like a brand, to be honest, because I, I like the personable feels. The doctor part was really to like inspire people who are trying to aspire for that. Mm-hmm. And you got to let them know. But I was like, you know, I come from a first gen, you know, background and I came from, you know, a, a rough upbringing I mean like this this is where I am and when I thought about who I was going to serve eventually this is what I wanted them to see and this is what I wanted them to know so but I like that don't dim your light don't dim your light absolutely right and I think taken from that doctor you know I'm Dr. Stanford because I earned it I earned all of it and so in whatever space you want to be we walk around here and we call MD's doctor but let's not forget that we are the top degree and I am the one percent so I earned that doctor and I'm gonna get it yes some hella high water so sometimes it is attached to that Uh oh so my mouth just dropped let me tell you why (laughs) because you said what I be thinking and Mm -hmm. um and it's and it's not even like I said to be a bougie thing but like I think about all the time like I do have the highest academic degree that a person could possibly attain but our society puts more emphasis or medical doctors because they save lives they do surgeries but I'm like you know some of what we do as well is saving lives and some of what we do as well is providing the the research base and the knowledge to be able to help some of those you know things that happen beyond med- medical professions but it, it, you know a conversation for another day because I guess sometimes I'd be feeling really emotional about it but it really it is what it is like you know we we get it and it's not bad that you want to be called doctor. I don't think so at all, you know, because I, I can appreciate that I worked for it. I cried for it. I sacrificed for it. I moved, you know, from my family and stayed gone for this PhD. So at the end of the day, yes, I have that put some respect on it. But on the other part of it, it's still kind of like, but I'm still in. Right. And, you know, as much as I can listen to Trap and, <laughs> and Gucci Mane and whoever else, you know, you know, it's, right. it's, I'm still I'm still me and I'm OK with that. Um, so it's finding the balance between the two. I think that's really awesome. Right. And I respect that. Uh, look, uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm also curious to know from you just really quickly, what would you advise of those who may say I'm considering graduate school? You know, again, like yourself and like myself, I thought the BA was it. You know, I was going to go about my business. But what would you say to those who are considering, you know, going for more education and don't really know where to start in terms of picking a program or figuring out what they want to do? That's good. I think I would tell them to research because at this time in the game, you really shouldn't spend the money on something that you don't have any good outlook on. So research, you definitely got to do your research. You also have to look at if they're going to fund you, what support you have in that area. So that's important as well. And it also depends on which one they're trying to do. Because with the PhD, I always tell people, one, you have to have a passion for academia. It's a lot of money to waste if you're not going into research in academia or something such as what you're doing. Don't get it just for the name, just so that somebody can call you doctor, because that's expensive. We can just pretend if that's the case. But can I get a <laughs> <laughs> it's really about researching what is out there, researching what is going to be lucrative, really putting together a plan, a five-year plan of where you see yourself in five years. If it's entrepreneurship, then get the master's that's going to round that out. If it's 
wanting to educate and train and get the degree that's going to make you an expert in that area. But all of it is attached to doing your homework. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, this is the saddest part of the conversation to me because it's the part where it's like, oh, we about to end this conversation. We could talk all day. I know. I think I'm going to make plans one day to just have an event so we can talk all day, me and, you know, everybody else. <laughs> but, you know, the, the moment for you to, to share with us, what is the one thing that you want to leave us with to carry with us for the rest of our lives? Be great. Be intentional. And always be a change agent, whether education is for you or not. Be purposeful in whatever you decide to do in your life and stay relevant. Mm, stay relevant. Well, this has been an amazing, amazing conversation, Dr. Stanford. I appreciate your time and your energy and your wisdom and just connecting, you know, because that's something I was saying to you before, too. We didn't like, you know, kick it like that at school. I don't kick it at all, actually, just be for real. But it's just nice. To, <laughs> let me be for real. But it's still nice to come back around, you know, in this time. I mean, Charlotte's one of them friendly places, right? Like we can all be cool, say hello. But, you know, everybody got their little crew. And so it's just still nice to just see what we both ended up. And just I'm so proud. I'm so proud of you. Um, fellow bear. Likewise. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I wish you so, so, you know, much prosperity in the future. Oh, I got to ask you too. Where on the internet do you want people to find you if you want to be found? I'm on Twitter at Dr. S Stanford one, or it says B underscore juvenile forensic SLP. And I'm on Instagram, PH underscore DVA STA TING 13. All right. So on that note, good folks, you know, hope that you all continue to be great in all that you do. Dr. Stanford, again, thank you so much for your time. Keep pressing forward and being great out here in life. (laughs) All day. You're so welcome.